So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Common Sea Inspirations, being produced here in our Common Sea studio in uh, the County Limerick. And it's the 24th of February. It's the seventh Sunday in Ordinary Time. Our programme is broadcast on Sacred Space at West Limerick 102 FM uh, at 10am and 11pm each Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning and 11pm each Sunday night, excuse me, and it's available for playback and or download. And come and see inspirations.budsprout.com. If you go to the budsprout.com website, if you search come and see inspirations there, you'll find us there. And also, of course, on our blog, which is sacredspace102.blogspot.com. Our podcasting team, um, who pulls this all together each Sunday when we produce it, well, actually, we produce it during the week, but it's broadcast on Wednesday one or two each Sunday, includes Shen Ambrose, who's our main uh, blog editor, researcher, and anything else that we can't do. Good morning to you, Shane. How are you? Good morning, John. <laughs> Sounds good, yeah? Uh, yeah, what are you, my, kind of, my, my next response is, what are you looking for? <laughs> yeah, sounds, sounds, sounds all right, Shane, it's coming, it's coming. And of course, good morning to, to Anne Keeley, uh, my wife, our prayer guide, who joins us again this morning. Good morning to you, Anne. Morning, John. Morning, listeners. And Lorraine Buckley, who, who shares with us each week some catechesis. Good morning to you, Lorraine. How are you? Good morning, John. Good morning, listeners. I'm very well. You're very good. Very, You're very well. good to come on. Uh, uh, and by the way, we did have a text in during the week uh, after last week's program. Somebody had a little bit of a problem. They missed you last week. They were like, "Is the catechesis kind of got?" And I said, "No, she's coming back again next week." So ah, then, you can't get rid of a she's bad gonna thing. She's going to share some more. She's going to share some more catechesis with us again this week. Thanks, lovely to have you, Lorraine. So as usual, our, our program will uh, include uh, Saints for the Week. Shane, of course, will, will, will bring us through those. A few little notices, we don't have too many this week. But in part two of the program, we have joining us this morning Father Columbia McKen from the Glenstall Abbey, uh, uh, who's going to speak to us on the Oblates of St. Benedict. But that'll be in part two. But in the meantime, if you want to contact us at all, text us 87 that's 087-6088-667. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can email us, and that's on sacredspace102 at gmail.com. So that's 087-6088-667 or sacredspace102 at gmail.com. So with this part of the program, Shane, you got some science to share with us this week, please? Um, so it's hard to... It's hard to believe we're facing into the last week of February. I'm kind of going, where did that where did that month go? You know, and for those that are keeping an eye on their liturgical calendar, folks, we're only a short distance out from the beginning of Lent. Ash Wednesday is the 6th of March. So for those of you that want to get into the preparation in terms of getting things, your ducks in a row and say, well, this year I must do this, that and the other thing. You know, if there's that book you want to pick up or there's that or whatever else you want to do or some other thing you want to sign up for for part of your Lent, uh, it's just it's just around the corner. But anyway, as for this week, so we're in the last week of February, so it is the seventh week in Ordinary Time. For those of us that pray the Psalter, we're on week three. And our liturgical guides, our celestial guides for the week, they're rather a pedestrian lot this year, I'm afraid, this week, I'm afraid. No kind of superstars as such amongst them. So we start off on Monday, on the 25th of February, with St. Walburga. Now, the poor old problem with Walburga is sometimes the poor woman ends up being associated with witchcraft, quite wrongly, I'm afraid. She's um, the daughter of St. Richard the King. So she's one of the the Saxon kings, or saints, rather, 
in the in England. She was born in 710 in, in Wessex, and she is was working with St. Boniface and her brothers, uh, St. Winebald and Willibald, as you can see, they were very um, adventurous with the names, uh, evangelizing in Germany. And it was a very successful mission. Now, the connection with the witchcraft, I'm afraid, is to do with the fact that her relics were translated, or that's moved between churches on the 1st of May, which uh, is, was also a pagan festival marking the beginning of summer and the revels of witches. It's the reason we have, uh, you know, on the, on the 30th, 30th, 30th of April, you have, you know, the blessing with the holy water, May Eve, all that kind of thing in Ireland as well. So they had it in Germany as well, where the poor woman was buried. So unfortunately, for many years, she was associated wrongly with witchcraft. But I think it's a, just, it's, but also with the protection of crops and cure of diseases, because she was very much uh, associated with uh, health. Then on the 26th of uh, February, we have the feast day of Faustinian of Bologna. Uh, this is pretty much a one-liner, we'll be very quick. He was a 4th century bishop of Bologna during the period of the persecutions of Diocletian. A great administrator, he reorganized the, the diocese and fought Arianism. And I was just saying it to Lorraine before the start of the program. I think I've never, I've never read so much about Diocletian as I have in the last six uh, last six months. Because every second saint I seem to pick seems to be a martyr for, during his reign as Roman emperor. Then on Wednesday, which is the 27th, we have the feast day of St. Gabriel of Our Lady of Sorrows. Now, St. Gabriel is, um, he was born in 1838 in Assisi in Italy. And he died uh, of TB in 1862. He was one of 13, very much devoted to chasing. He attended, well, how it was described when I was looking him up, he was devoted to the world and society, attending the theater, chasing women and the hunt. That's how he was described. But he was led to join the passion. I know, a man of the world. Anyway, he was led to join the Passionists by Our Lady and he made his profession in 1857. His life was not marked by great events or controversy, but given to prayer, sacrifice and devotion to Our Lady. So that's why he's commemorated on the 27th of February. Then on the 28th of February, we have an interesting one. It's Blessed Daniel Brotier. He's a more recent saint. He died in 1936. He's French, died in Paris. And he was born in La Ferté Saint-Cyr, I think is how it's pronounced. He was ordained in 1899, and he entered the Congregation of the Holy Ghost at Orléans in France in 1902. And he was a mission to Senegal. And he was one of the missionaries to Senegal, which was then part of the French Empire. His health suffered, and he returned to France in 1911. But at the request of the bishop, he did fundraising to build the cathedral in Senegal in Dakar. And in the, 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 the cathedral was consecrated just a few weeks before his death. He was a chaplain, a chaplain to the French army in the World War One, and he was cited six times for his bravery. And uh, he attributed his survival to the intercession of Saint Therese of Lisieux. And then he also very much a man of prayer uh, who put the family of God above the considerations of nationality or race. So an interesting role model for us to, con to contemplate in these interesting times. Then, of course, that means the month of February is all over and we move into March. So the 1st of March, feast St. David of Wales. David, the equivalent of our St. Paddy, Patrick, beg your pardon, uh, born to the Welsh royalty. Um, the, and he was very, he was very much worked with St. Columbanus and Ildis and Finnegan, missionary and founder of monasteries. He was chosen primate of the Cambrian Church, which is associated with Wales, and he's very much associated 
as setting out to convert the people of Wales to the faith. Uh, he, he visited Jerusalem uh, to aid the patriarch, and then once, uh, and then he returned to, and he died in 601 of natural causes. And then finally, John, on Saturday, the 2nd of March, we have feast day of St. Chad of Mercia. Now, this is an interesting one. Uh, I'm not going to read out everything that it says because he's, his life goes on for three quarters of a webpage. Um, he was born 620, he died 672, very much associated. He died probably of the plague. I said, there's a charming way to go. Uh, brother St. Sed and St. Sinicus, again, those family names that seem to be associated with the Saxon saints. He was associated, he was chosen. Uh, he, Chad was made bishop and he at Lastingham Monastery. And then what happened What happened was uh, St. Wilfred of York was chosen as the Bishop of Lindisfarne. There was a bit of a dispute about who was the real bishop. Chad was then declared the bishop, and there was a bit of toing and froing and backwards and forth. And then in obedience, uh, Chad gave up the seat, and he was eventually, you know, he was honoured for his obedience to Holy Mother Church. But anyway, so that's Chad of Mercia. Many other things about him. I'm not going to bore you about it this morning. So he died in 672 AD and his feast day is celebrated on the 2nd of March. And John, final, one last thing. Obviously, as it is the beginning of the month, we have the Pope's intention. And the Pope's intention for the month of March, that Christian communities, especially those who are persecuted, feel that they are close to Christ and have their rights respected. That's the Pope's intention for the month of March. And course uh given everything that's going on in rome at the morning at, at the moment we pray for guidance of the holy spirit on the deliberations of the church leadership in these difficult times so that's what we have john in terms of the guides for this week thank you very much Nietzsche. chen of course very comprehensive as usual thank you um now just before i ask maybe lorraine to, just to share some catechesis with us just to bring one little notice to your attention um, people might have remembered my mentioning two weeks ago about Radio Maria, Radio Maria Ireland. It's actually available, uh, it's on 24-7, 24-7 radio uh, programme, but it's actually on the Serview network. Uh, so if you're on RT1, 2, 3 and so on and so forth, that's Serview. If you go back from RT1, you'll come to channel 210. And that's the radio channel. There is for those people who might be interested, and I'm sure there are some people who are, who are at home all the time and would like to join in, the rosary is on at 12.30 every day, 5.30 every day, and there's mass on at 10 o'clock. Uh, myself and Anne paid a visit to the studios there last week. Um, very impressed with, with what they're doing up there. And we hope to be able to share some program in the future. We may have to share some with them, and they may have to share some with us. It's also uh, available uh, on the, the internet. If you go to www.radiomaria.ie, and you'll be able to, to get the live streaming. As well as that, if you want to phone one. Four three seven three two seven seven. That's o one four three seven three two seven seven. You can phone them up, and actually, you can join in the rosary. So you, uh, there are people from around the country who phone in and join in the rosary every day. I think it's a beautiful idea. But anyway, at this particular stage, another beautiful idea is to have Lorraine with us again this week, and she got some more catechesis for us. Thanks, Lorraine. We do indeed, John. Um, again, we're looking at the virtues and we're not finished with them yet. So 
This week we're going to have a look at what are known as the cardinal virtues. In in fact, we're only going to look at two of those this week. So over the last couple of weeks, we were looking at the theological virtues of faith, hope and charity. And those are the virtues that are given to Christians, infused into their soul at baptism. And they help us to be true children of God. The human virtues, however, can be practiced by everyone, not just Christians. And again, if we just look at what they are, human virtues are firm attitudes, stable dispositions, habitual perfections. So it's something that we do consciously over and over and over again. They help us to govern our actions, to order our passions and to guide our our conduct according to reason and faith. They make possible ease and self-mastery and joy in leading a morally good life. We might have heard of the proverb, virtue is its own reward. In other words, by, by living a virtuous life, we will naturally be more joyful people because we will be operating in the way that gives us the greatest joy. So let's have a look at the cardinal virtues. There are four main or four principal human moral virtues. Now, the word cardinal comes from the Latin cardo, which means a hinge. So these are the four virtues which the moral life hinges or hangs on. And we probably know them by name, prudence, fortitude, temperance and justice. So today we're going to look at the first two prudence and fortitude. The key virtue is prudence, which is very, very simple. It's right reason in action. That's the virtue that guides all the other virtues because it looks at what virtue is needed in a particular situation. So prudence guides the judgment of our conscience as well as looking at, well, what do I need in this given situation to be a good person, to choose the good It's the virtue that allows us to judge correctly what's right or wrong in a given situation. Now, sometimes that'll be fairly easy. Like we know stealing is wrong and we've learned that from a very early age. But sometimes the situation might be a little bit more complicated. So we might need to take a little bit of time to look into it, um, to inform ourselves and, and to see what we might need to make the right action in that situation. When we mistake an evil action for good, we are not exercising prudence. In fact, we're showing our lack of it. And because it's so easy to fall into error, prudence requires us to seek the counsel of others, um, particularly those of sound moral judgment. And that brings us back to a, a very common Irish topic, if you like, the Anamkara, the soul friend, or Anamkarja, soul friends, the importance of having good holy people around us that we can talk about anything to. You know, those really good salt of the earth people that you literally, you could spill your heart and soul out to them and they'd be able to give you good advice on it. So to be prudent is not to be confused with timidity or fear. It doesn't mean that, you know, we're going to take forever to make a decision because we have to look at it inside out and upside down and work out all the things before we make a choice. What it does mean, though, is that we take a little bit of time where necessary to look into why this might be a good action or a wrong action. And why is it important for us to spend um, time looking at that today? Well, there's a great quote by Thomas Paine. He was writing about the American Revolution, but I think it's can be applied to a lot of things today, really. He said, a long habit in thinking, sorry, I beg your pardon, I'll start again. A long habit of not thinking a thing wrong gives it a superficial appearance of being right and raises at first a formidable outcry in defence of custom. But the tumult soon subsides. 
time makes more converts than reason. So many of the moral choices today, which people think are good and right, are not so because they're right and good in reality, but because over time people have become maybe a little bit complacent in the application of prudent thinking. Which brings us to our next virtue, fortitude. And that's the virtue that ensures firmness in difficulties and constancy in pursuit of good. It allows us to conquer our fear and to strengthen our resolve to resist temptation and to overcome the other little barriers that um, are there that would prevent us from growing in the moral life. So if we look at it this way, prudence is the virtue that helps us to know what's right and wrong. And fortitude helps us to carry out that right action, regardless of the outcome or cost to ourselves. And the catechism says that fortitude helps one to conquer fear, even fear of death, and to face trials and persecutions. Now, most of us in Ireland, thanks be to God, don't fear that type of persecution, the fear of being martyred or stoned to death for our Christian beliefs. But we do face a different type of persecution, which Pope Francis called polite persecution in 2016. He said it takes away from man and woman their freedom as well as their right to conscientious objection. And that's the type of like insidious ridicule that you might find for um, for your beliefs coming from either the secular media or from society or sometimes even amongst our family and friends, you know. So it's important for us to have that and practice that virtue of fortitude, which means just being able to give an account of our faith to other people. It's not about bashing people over the head about our faith, but taking the opportunity when it arises to explain why we believe what we believe um, with all, you know, absolute respect for the other person and where they're coming from. Fortitude also helps us to overcome or to resist temptation. Now, again, these are human virtues which are achieved by human effort, so we have to work at it a little bit. So it As Shane said, we're coming up to Lent in a couple of weeks' time, so we might just take a look at our own lives and look at those little areas of temptation in our lives and see how can we resist temptation. And maybe that's first and foremost by removing those things or those relationships that lead us into sin or, you know, tempt us. Maybe around certain people we're a little bit more gossipy and we might want to take a step back, not from the people, but from the situation, I know of a, a, a person who any time there was gossip in the workplace, he'd leave the room because he just didn't want to engage in it. So there are little ways that we can kind of remove temptation from our lives. Or again, you know, we might want to look at our reading material or what we listen to on the radio or watch on television just to see, is this helping me to be a better person? Or again, is this maybe leading me into attitudes and, and ways of acting that I'm not entirely happy with? So during the coming week, let's look for ways in which we can be more prudent people and how we can pursue the good with fortitude. Lorraine, thank you so much for that. Beautiful thoughts. Thank you. So now at this part of our programme here, um, Anne will share a spiritual communion prayer with us. And this is where we offer, especially for those who could not receive Jesus in Holy Communion this morning. We also include in our spiritual community all those who are sick and lonely. And in fact, there's a few people from time to time that contact us here in the program and ask us to remember them in prayer. And one particular message that we got this particular week was from a Mary, I call it D, Mary D contacted us to ask our good listeners to remember her 
in in their prayers this particular week. So we'll include Mary D in the prayers as Anne shares her spirit of communion prayer with us. Thanks, Anne. My, my Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul since I now cannot receive you sacramentally come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Thanks for that now, Anne. So there's the the piece of music, Lorraine, that you asked us to pray this morning. It's entitled In Christ Alone and it's by Owl City. again to the second part of, of, of Come and See Inspirations coming from our Come and See studio here in Ada and as promised in part one we have a special guest uh, joining us this morning Father Columba McCann is from the Glenstall Abbey in Limerick. Good morning to you Father Columba, how are you? And good morning to you, I'm fine, thank you very much Thank you very much indeed and of course Shane is still joining us on the other end of the line and Shane would love to find out a little bit more and help us to find out a little bit more what the Oblates of St. Benedict is all about. <coughs> exactly, John. So we invited uh, Father Columba on the programme this morning because, Father Columba, one of the many job titles that you have uh, in Glenstall Abbey is, I think you're the director of the Oblates, is that the term? That's correct, yes. Oblate director, yep. yep. Oblate director. So it kind of begs the question, what's an Oblate? What's an Oblate of our Benedictine Oblates? Okay. Um well, if I could back up a little bit, but first of all, by saying that um, uh, there's a kind of, um, I suppose it's been a, a rediscovery um, in recent decades that a lot of the, the rule of St. Benedict, there's, there's wisdom in the rule of, of St. Benedict that can be lived by many people who are not monks. 
Mm. In fact, if you were to go to our uh, bookshop, for example, you'd find all sorts of books uh, written by people who draw inspiration from St. Benedict, uh, but they're not uh, nuns or monks. Um, there are even books, for example, written about uh, how to be a good business manager from St. Benedict. Uh, there are books about uh, Benedict and sport, uh, the rule of St. Benedict and family life. So mm. because of the rule of St. Benedict is about... Uh, seeking the Lord and living in community. There's an awful lot about how people live together, how how they interact, how things work, how things don't work. A lot of it is even about what to do when things go wrong. So um, there's an increasing number of people who I would say uh, find that in our spirituality there's something that they that suits their own lives, even though they are they're not living in a monastery. So um, oblates, I suppose, are people who take that one step further that they have um, uh, a particular connection with a particular monastery. So a, a Benedict uh, Benedictine oblate would be, for example, an oblate of Glenstall Abbey. Mm. And, um, so they're associated uh, with, so they're part of the extended family, you could say. They're part of the extended family, actually. That's a very good way of putting it. Um, and um, now the thing is, I suppose in the Benedictine world, compared to uh, other religious orders, there's quite a bit of variety from monastery to monastery as to how things are done across the board. Right. Uh, we tend to be more like a kind of a confederation than a, a, an order. Uh, each monastery is to a certain extent a little independent republic. So how oblates uh, feature will vary from monastery to monastery. But the way we kind of, um, the way we envisage it is that it's basically uh, a commitment an oblate is a person who makes a commitment, uh, first of all, to draw inspiration from the rule of St. Benedict and from Benedictine spirituality. And we leave that fairly vague. Okay. That's deliberate. And secondly, that they would um, commit themselves insofar as their other duties in life permit, because, you know, people may be married, they may have children, or their work commitments. So there are a lot of other commitments that tend to have to take first place. But insofar as their other commitments allow, they also commit themselves to some form of daily prayer, either um, a kind of um, an adapted form of the, the liturgy, the hours, the office that we do, or some daily um, Bible meditation, Lectio Divina. Okay. Um, and so that's, um, so we, the, the, the commitment is simple enough in a sense, and we, uh, we, we want it to be... Um, not too prescriptive, so that it's a, it's a help for people rather than a burden mm. uh, that's going to weigh them down. Okay. Uh, uh, but then to help with that, then uh, we have oblate meetings. Mm. So in fact, we have about three different. Uh, we, well, we've actually during the year we have six different gatherings. Three of them are uh, meeting days. They're only Saturdays, and three of them are retreat days. Uh, so, now, so people will come to those if they can, uh, but really it's the daily living is, is the actual commitment. But these other uh, gatherings, I suppose, are times when objects support one another. I think that's a huge part of it, mm -hmm. is uh, looking for some way of being supported in your spiritual life. And um, I think it works for objects, yeah. Mm. It's uh, just just to kind of, I suppose, if you, if you, if you want to look at it this way, so we, objects in the Glenstall community uh, are encouraged kind of to draw inspiration from the rule of St. Benedict. I, I, you know, you said yourself that's kind of deliberately left vague. So, you know, looking at the, the Oblate community that 
are associated with Glenn Stahl. How do different oblates kind of interpret that into their own daily circumstances? Yeah, it's, um, it's, I'd say it's really almost like a kind of an osmosis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, one of the things is nearly, nearly always on, on these uh, meeting days, we will have, we will sometimes take a little bit of the rule of St. Benedict or we'll take some theme of monastic spirituality and we'll go through it. Um, and, um, one of the difficulties, of course, is that the rule itself, you see, was written in the 6th century. Mm. <laughs> and so it's written for uh, a different time and place. Um, so, and I often say that to oblates, you know, <coughs> if, you just take up, if you just take up the rule and try to read it straight off, mm. it's, it's sometimes actually not even that inspiring. Mm. Um, so often it's a matter of teasing it out. And sometimes there are some very good authors who have written about it, uh, um, trying to understand what St. Benedict is really doing. Mm. Well, um, looking, looking at Placid, Murray's copy, uh, trans, a version of it is, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, it's not exactly the easiest thing in the world. You, it's only, it's, Placid's translation is only 101 pages. So you'd mm-hmm. get through it fairly quickly if you were just reading it straight through. But as you said yourself, it's not exactly um, the easiest thing in the world just to pick up and mm-hmm. kind of, uh, to get kind of inspiration out of. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I can give you, I mean, just off the top of my head, a few examples. Um, let's say, uh, well, even the very first word of the rule is listen. Mm. Uh, in fact, we just got a, a, a letter through the email uh, from our abbot president all about, in fact, five pages about listening, that we should be people who listen. We listen for the voice <laughs> of God. Five pages uh, of one word. That's quite a, that's quite a <laughs> treatise. Yeah. Right. I, so, I would say the abbot president has too much time in his hands. Go on. Maybe, <laughs> yes. Well, I suppose also, now maybe we could say that anybody who's listening in at the moment is, is maybe a prime candidate to be <laughs> at Benedictine Obdit if they're listening. Mm. Um, but kind of listening. So for, and that even uh, comes into practice in different ways. For example, the abbot, although he is the head of the community, he has to listen. It's actually written into the rule that he must consult. He has to consult uh, when he's making important decisions. No, no um, benevolent dictatorships. No, 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 no. And he even says, for example, that the young, sometimes the youngest person or the most the recent arrival may have wisdom that nobody else has. Mm. So that would be one example. So you can see, for example, uh, if you were to transfer that into other walks of life, then, um, you know, if you're a manager of a firm or something, you know, how much do you consult? Mm-hmm. Um, do you, how do you, what, what, what systems do you have for hearing uh, what, what people in the organization have to say, uh, what wisdom they have to bring? Now, the abbot uh, often still has the final decision, actually. But, um, so that would be just one example. Um, uh, another example just uh, off the top of my head would be, well, um, there's a lot actually about the abbot. Anybody who's in a leadership role, whether it's being a parent or being a teacher, or being in charge of anything, as it would have a lot to learn from um, St. Benedict says about the abbot, because uh, he has to be able to adapt himself to all the different types of characters that you have in the monastery, and you do have plenty of characters. <laughs> so, you know, some people, some people need a real hard push, you know, they need to be challenged. Other people... Uh, need a very gentle approach and so on and so forth. So um, it's part of um, the Benedictine approach is, even though we all kind of wear the same uh, habit or whatever, that in fact one size doesn't really fit all completely Mm, and that you have to adapt. And that would be part of Benedictine education too in our school. We would try as far as we can uh, 
to do the same, you know, mm. that, um, but, um, yeah. Um, and do, do wobblets, do wobblets have to make any particular promises? Well, as I say, it, it, it's kept, it's kept fairly light in the sense that all the, the, the actual promise, um, it's, it's, it's simply really to, to, to draw inspiration from the rule of St. Benedict. Mm-hmm. And to live it uh, in connection with with us, and uh, the, the actual formal promise that's made on the day that they become an oblate is, is uh, it's phrased very minimally. Mm-hmm. But I suppose in the in the oblate training and also the meeting, if we try to flesh that out, but it, it's deliberately kept minimal because, uh, as I say, we want this to be an encouragement to people mm-hmm. rather than something that turns into a burden. Say, well, God, did I do this or did I do that? Or there, I failed again. Mm-hmm. We, we want to avoid that. Mm. Um, and in terms of kind of the you know obviously before you even get to the stage of making any promises or whatever as an oblate. Mm-hmm. You know, there's presumably a whole process of discernment and kind of figuring out if this, if this, if you like, adoption into the family is for is yes. going to work. I presume. That's right. That, and what, uh, what exactly would the steps be in that, or what's involved in that? Yeah, yeah. Well, what often happens, first of all, I suppose it's often somebody who has come here, mm-hmm. maybe as a guest or maybe even as a day visitor or whatever, and there's something they like about the place and the feel of the place and the way we do things is something that kind of, they feel maybe that they're a kindred spirit in some way. Mm. And people tend to come back. Uh, and it's normally after they've been here a few times and then they hear about the oblate, they say, oh, I'd like to, I'd like to, um, I'd like to inquire more about this. So then yeah. somehow they end up in contact with me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we kind of chatted out a little bit and, um, um, our retreat, our oblate retreat days. Uh, what we do is that we have three of them. We have one in Advent, Lent, and Summer, and we actually open those days uh, to a larger group. Mm. So basically, anybody could come to that. Okay. It could be what we call an associate, which is a much looser thing. There's no commitment at all. Mm. So if you want to be an associate, so if they come to those retreat days, we normally ask, "Look, you come to those for a year. Mm-hmm. You'll meet a lot of other oblates." Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll see the way we uh, try to uh, unpack what our spiritual spirituality is and so on. And um, so, and also as so we get a sense of the person too, we, we see them, we see whether they're getting on with people and so on. We see whether it seems to be working for them. And then at the end of that year, um, if they still want to go ahead, then they, they're enrolled uh, for a, an actual year of preparation. So, so during the year of preparation, they they would try, insofar as they can, mm-hmm. attend the oblate meetings as well. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then also we put on um, additional meetings uh, for about four different meetings, uh, which are just for, if you like, the the newcomers, mm-hmm. and we arrange those. Um, you know, to accommodate them and whatever way their timetables and calendars are. So mm-hmm. it's kind of done by email or whatever. So. We'd have four meetings. So, for example, now we actually have a we have a large group. We have a group of eight starting off, actually, and they'll actually be coming um, at the weekend. So, our first meeting we'll be doing some Bible meditation. Some of them will have, may have done that already. We'll be doing Lexio Divina. It's mm-hmm. like the Benedictine approach to Bible meditation. Mm-hmm. Then there'll be another. We what we do was even though they don't take vows. We, we, as a framework for looking at Benedictine spirituality, we, we look at the vows that monks take okay. as a way of kind of a framework. So we'll do something on obedience, something on um, 
stability. Mm. And um, uh, actually, that's another stability is another example of maybe how uh, Benedictine spirituality works very well in, in in most people's lives. You know, you could say stability is kind of bloom where you're planted. Mm-hmm. It's saying um, uh, the faraway hills probably aren't greener. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't run away just when something gets tough. Um, Benedict has this horror of monks who go who in his time in the 6th century used to go from uh, monastery to monastery and every time of course the honeymoon was over after a few weeks and when they begin to face the fact you know and face themselves and how they get on with people mm-hmm. then they move on to the next monastery so they never learn anything about themselves right so kind of constantly moving from place to place yeah so it's a kind of a life of escapism so for for a benedictine the, the the idea of stability is is that you kind of stay put with the people that you're with and if it gets difficult, well, that's when you're really when you're really going to grow. Mm. Uh, uh, uh. It's a, it's an interesting. I, I suppose it's an interesting approach because I suppose often people would look and say, you know, we'd love to, you know you'd love to travel, you'd like to go here, you'd like to go there. But sometimes maybe the place where we're called, what where we're supposed to be, is where we're called to be, is where we are right now. And sometimes maybe that's not something that people would be appreciative necessarily of all the time. Um, in in terms of uh, the, the 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 ongoing, I suppose um, you know, you you do your you do your preparation for the year, and then you you make your oblation after the year after the year, and then after that, I suppose, how does uh, the relationship develop between the monastery and its abbots? Well, um, it's in some ways it's quite informal in the sense that um, they get to know us, and we get to know them, mm-hmm. um, and um, they, uh, the the oblates will be, as um, far as they can, they will be continually uh, coming to these uh, meetings that are, you know, so we've, between the meetings and the retreats, there are six different occasions of the year where mm-hmm. we're particularly welcome to come here. Um, so it's a kind of, um, yeah, I suppose we, it, it, it's, the, that's the basic structure, if you like. That's the trellis. Mm. And then whatever relationships grow in terms of people getting to know one another. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, um, now some of the talks that are put on in these meetings, some of them will actually be given by oblates themselves. Mm-hmm. But also there'll be a certain number of monks who have uh, material to share, ideas to share. So there's, there's a kind of... Um, people get to know one another, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you see, there are other events also... Um, in the Abbey as well, going on all the time. So you'll find oblates turning up left, right, and centre, really, and getting mm-hmm. involved in different things, depending on, on their level of... To, the level to which they want to engage. Yeah. Want to care, but, but in fact, you see, I suppose the most important thing is that the, the real... A little bit like the stability thing, the real living of the oblate life is, is in your own home, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the link is a spiritual link with the monastery. And one of the things that makes it really nice now is that the fact that we have our um, our our prayers are on webcam, mm. so people um, can unite themselves with us not just by praying at the same time, but they could actually, you know, if they have a computer, they can they can go online and they can actually be praying at exactly the same time. That's if they want to get up for prayer at 25 to 7 in the morning. But not everybody <laughs> wants to do that. Well, that's uh, fair enough. But so a lot of people might be up and about at that stage as well. So they Father are Columba, nowadays. Yeah. Exactly. Father Columba, if people were interested to find out more about the Oblates at Glimstall, how would they go about it? Um, well, I suppose it depends what kind of communication methods you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
they could simply, uh, if they're into uh, snail mail, they can write just write drop a short note to you know. Even if they don't remember my name, they can just oblate director or director of oblates, Glenstall Abbey, Maru, County Limerick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also uh, on our website, there'll be uh, a little oblate section there again, outlining in just a few paragraphs uh, some of the things that we've just been talking about, but mm-hmm. also giving an email. An email address, and so on. So that's probably the two main ways. Or indeed, they could they could ring, uh, uh, you know, just ring the main uh, Abbey phone number, and if I'm there, uh, they'll get me. If I'm not, you know, they can leave a message, and I'll follow it up. So, uh, and the other thing also just to say that the year it's a year of preparation, but in the end, it's up to it's up to people to decide. Um, occasionally people for whatever personal reason they decide okay I've done my year of different meetings and so on but I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait a little bit longer before I decide to become an oblate mm-hmm. um, that's number one and number two I think equally important is uh, just because you enroll if you like as an applicant and you're going through this preparation uh, <clears throat> at any point you can pull out that's mm-hmm. really important too that people mm-hmm. would, would never feel that they're getting trapped into anything okay. you know, that they are really free to to have a go at it and then if they find actually this isn't quite what I thought mm-hmm. you know that's fine that's fine as well okay okay Father Clement McCann thank you very much for coming on the programme this morning to us to talk about Oblet the Benedictine community of Glenstall and as, anyway, as, as Father uh, uh, Columbus said uh, glenstall.com will get you the information if you're online or the Oblet Director Glenstall Abbey Maru County Limerick if you want to go the more traditional routes Father Columbus thank you very much for being on the programme this morning Thank you for having me. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so at this part of the program now, we might go for a second piece of music, and this one is by Mark Forrest, and this one is entitled Stir My Heart. Let your holy fire burn, spark a flame within me, strengthen my desire, may my heart, O Lord, be so
So, welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined in the studio here by Lorraine and Anne, and Shane joins us on the end of the Skyline. So, this part of the program is where we read and reflect on the Word of God, and we'll ask Anne to pray this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Anne. Lord, we thank you for pushing us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us, so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed. Let's not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander and give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this word in union with Mary who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Anne. So now the Gospel for today, for the seventh Sunday in Ordinary Time, is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 27 to 38. Jesus said to his disciples, I say this to you who are listening. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who treat you badly. To the man who slaps you on one cheek, present the other cheek too. To the man who takes your cloak from you, Do not refuse your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And do not ask for for your property back from the man who robs you. Treat others as you would like them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what things can you expect? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what things can you expect? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend to those... From whom you hope to receive, what thanks can you expect? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Instead, love your enemies and do good. Lend without any hope of return. You will have a great reward, and you will will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be compassionate, as your Father is compassionate. Do not judge, and you will not be judged yourselves. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned yourselves. Grant pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and there will be gifts for you. A full measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. Because the amount you measure out is the amount you will be given back. So that's the Gospel for today. Lorraine, you got a few little thoughts you might share with us, please? Uh, what I love about this gospel, John, is it's not one of those ones that you can kind of skip over going, uh, that's grand, not a bother. <laughs> okay, we might not have enemies in the, you know, in the actual enemy sense, but do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who treat you badly. Uh, to the man, to person who slaps you on one cheek, give them the other. To the person who takes your cloak, do not refuse your tunic. Mm. Jesus wasn't joking when he was saying these things, lads. And it's an opportunity for us again as we're heading towards Lent to look at our lives a little bit more closely and go, do I actually live 
this gospel? Do I pray for those who hate me? Do I bless those who curse me? Do I give freely of my gifts to other people, whether they're uh, financial kind of gifts, you know, physical uh, material gifts, in other words, mm. or my spiritual gifts or my time, most importantly, my time? Do I give it freely without any uh, expectation that it will be given back to me? Do I constantly forgive? Am I mm. compassionate? And you might say to yourself, gosh, that is absolutely impo- impossible. But Jesus never asks us to do something that he hasn't done himself for us. So love your enemies. That's what Jesus did for us while we were still sinners. He died for us. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Forgive as your heavenly father forgives. Like from the cross, Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. To the man who takes your cloak, offer your tunic as well. Of course, Jesus was stripped of his garments when he was heading towards Calvary. Mm. Treat others as you would like them to treat you. It's an extraordinarily type of love that Jesus asks of us. And we can only do it because he has done it for us. And that it's in him and with him and through him that we can love like this. Perfect. Thank you very much, Lorraine. I know we only had a short time there. Shane, a few thoughts yourself, if you like. Yeah, I was just thinking, actually, John, that um, as we mentioned, you know, it's a couple of weeks to start of Lent, and this gospel could be people's reflections uh, over the Lenten season. Be- you know, because if you were to take it line by line and just to work through it, as Lorraine said, um, yeah, he kind of wasn't joking when he said it, lads, you know, that kind of a way. Um, and it's one of these ones which definitely is going to make you twitch and is definitely going to make you squirm and kind of go, oh, well, no, kind of, you know what? Um, yeah, it's, 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 but I think for me, the line that struck me out of it was actually the first one. I say this to you who are listening. And it was that line, I suppose, that are, do we listen? Are we receptive to what's being said because you can some you can go down through each of what he says do this don't do that love your enemies turn the other cheek but what it could be summed up as is basically being open and aware and tuned into your neighbor and to what god is calling you to be and it's a response in love in charity is 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 the is the old term that would have been used, and it's something I suppose that we need to think about and reflect on. Um, there's a lot in this Sunday's gospel. There's and there's no point, you know, us going taking a couple of minutes to go down through something, which deserves full respect and reflection to take through. And what I would say to people this week, you know, is to take up that gospel each day this week and read a line or two of it, and to use it as a focus as an examen, as a way of kind of doing an examination of conscience, it, because it's a tough one. I have to say, I was, you know, reading down through it during the week and I was kind of going, hmm, not going to be so easy to talk about this on Sunday. You know, it's a continuation of last Sunday's gospel, which is the Sermon on the Plain in the Gospel of Luke. And it is very much setting out what it means to be Christian. We call ourselves that. How we do we do it an awful lot actually sometimes but the question is if you were to sit down and start ticking these off how many of them do we actually do it's not 
a case of right or wrong. But it's, uh, you know, in one sense. But it is a case of saying, well, this is what Jesus said. And you can twist it and turn it in, you know, all sorts of ways. But at the end of the day, it was fairly straightforward. Love your neighbors, love God, you know, kind of sums it up, really. Shay, thank you so much for that. Yeah, uh, beautiful thoughts yourself, and Ryan, beautiful thoughts there. For my own thought, I'll leave it to the music this morning. Um, it's a beautiful piece of music from James Coban. But before I do that, I just want to say thanks again to Lorraine, Shane and to Anne for, for helping us produce the programme here this morning. We'll go out again with um, a final piece of music. This is by James Coban, and maybe this is what we can also think about. Make me a channel of your peace. So next week from Lorraine, Shane and, and myself and Anne. God bless you all now. Bye. Bye. eternal life